welcome to the Capital City Crew Podcast. Join your hosts Jeff, Owen, Josh, and Herman as they dive deep into the game of Malifaux. Explore sophisticated strategies and creative combinations, but always remember in Malifaux, bad things happen. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the Capital City Crew Podcast. In today's episode, our main topic is talking about the master of the honey pot casino himself, Mr. Jacob Lynch. But before we get to that, uh, we've got our usual 10-minute tech talk section uh, and a few plugs. So first off, I want to give a shout out to Nick Westbrook, who has been organizing the Vassal World Cup, a series of monthly tournaments and events that have been running since November. Several of us are now uh, playing in the April uh, event, the April Fools four-round tournament. So look for an episode coming probably in early May where we recap our experience in the tournament, how it went, whether we won or lost, um, and you know, just generally talking about the tournament. Um, and stay tuned if you are looking for online games for a May event. Uh, it hasn't been announced yet, but I believe one should be coming. So, sh- again, kudos to Nick for keeping the torch going on Vassal events and making it possible to play with people all over the world. Uh, I'm playing with someone from Sweden this weekend, um, and there's 88 players this round. So follow the, the coverage on Facebook and uh, on the weird forums. And speaking of the Vassal World Cup event, with us in studio today is Landon Sheehan, who is currently in fourth place in the tournament uh, after round one, but is also an expert and big fan of Jacob Lynch. Welcome, Landon. Thanks. It's good to be here. I do have to say I do love getting some Lynch games in whenever I can sneak it in. So tell us, how, uh, how long have you been playing Malifaux? How did you get into the game? I've been playing Malifaux from around Wave 4 of 2nd Edition. Um, I actually got into the game by meeting uh, Kyle, a.k.a. Coyote himself, when I was uh, studying out in college, and uh, he was pushing a few miniatures around. Uh, and at that point, uh, it looked cool enough to buy in. Uh, so that shortly thereafter, I ended up moving, actually, and uh, settling in with the meta in uh, Mount Prospect. And from there, it just kind of grew. That's awesome. Well, we're we're always excited to chat with folks from across the country and uh, look forward to eventually being able to play with you in person. Um, and so you you had, uh, as our guest today, you had a 10-minute tech talk pick for us this week. Want to tell us about that? Who was your, who was your pick? My pick would be the Wainudo, the great flaming fire wheel of Ten Thunders. Uh, he doesn't have a keyword home of himself, but he does a couple of really key things that the faction enjoys to have. Um, number one being he's freaking fast. Uh, so he's move seven, he's got mobile warrior, and he has essentially like a baby McCabe ability where he can move through enemies and force them to take move duels. Um, but on top of that, the real cool thing he does is that when he makes a melee attack, he also pushes five in any direction. Um, so there's a couple of cool things that you take him for. Firstly, as we discussed, he goes very fast, and he can use your own models to attack to get even more distance. So on, say, a turn you want to get from one ley line to the other, 
you can charge him seven, make a melee attack against one of your own guys, relent for an extra five, and then walk for another seven to do a whole whopping 19 inches of movement. Um, actually up to 22 if you hit a trigger. And at that point in time, you can essentially start doing laps around the board with all that movement. Uh, so Ley Lines is a big place where he's great. But uh, he also has the ability to do very precise amounts of condition-based damage, which makes him an excellent pick for Hidden Martyrs as well. As uh, his move duel we mentioned does one point of damage and one burning, and he's got a bonus action on the back of his card that reduces burning by one in a three-inch pulse to do uh, one point of damage. So with his combined with his min of two and the large amount of burning he puts out, you can scalpel a model down to one and let it die to burning if you're sussing out a, a hidden martyr's target, which can be really game deciding in some close games. That hidden martyr's tech, especially, that's that's really smart. And I think in general, conditions like burning and poison are not necessarily overlooked, but maybe underutilized um, when hidden martyrs is in the pool. So. Just a, a general tip for folks, if you have that in your mission pool and you have access to either of those damaging conditions, definitely worth taking a look. Um, so I, I've mostly seen Wanyudo in the context of either being summoned off of Minakure or uh, being hired out of faction into a Reva list. When, how often do you just straight up hire Wanyudo? I don't think I've played a game of Corrupted Ley Lines without this model, to be completely honest. Uh, he's like where I start every Corrupted Ley Lines list. Sometimes he'll just come into my McCabe lists because he's height 2, so you can use Dried With Me on him. And he synergizes pretty well if you either get staggered out since he attacks move and has his move duels, or just as another thing to go in afterwards, because this guy can be a real blender at stat 6 attacking move with all the burning and damage he puts out. Um... Those are the two main situations, and sometimes, like I said, I'll tech him in for martyrs. Now, how about the rest of y'all? Have you had any experiences with Juan Yudo, either on the receiving end or the, the playing end? Yeah, I've been on the receiving end of him before. I was playing a Dreamer into, ironically enough, Lynch matchup, and he had hired in Juan Yudo to run uh, Symbols of Authority. And that little sucker was fast. Fortunately, you know, Chompy Bits was faster. But he got across the table, no problems. It was Really impressive and kind of a little scary. I, I had some jealousy, truth be told. I've taken uh, the one Yudo in Rava Cruz primarily. Uh, he is delightfully difficult to pin down between Trample and Mobile Warrior. Uh, you just can't stop him from moving if he really wants to. So yeah. I've used one Yudo in Ten Thunders uh, and with Riva, uh, both in high as hires. And the mobility that you're you're getting, like a lot of people don't, don't see it at first glance, but um, he can uh, move seven inches and then charge another seven inches. And he's stat six against a model's move. And you can usually force that off. Uh, and if you manage to have a mask there, he can move another eight inches. So you're looking at 14 plus eight, uh, and he can move that far in a turn. That's, that's pretty phenomenal. And uh, it's not something that people should overlook. Right, yeah, especially with that whole symbols uh, attack, as you mentioned earlier in the one game. Uh, understand that if you have a symbol within essentially, what, uh, 7 plus 5 plus another 3, 15 inches of this guy, he can potentially push all the way out there and grab it. Like, 
15 inches is an absurd range for being able to move and interact. And he gets to ignore models along the way while he's doing it, which is makes things even better. So, uh, and he's unimpeded, so he ignores Severe on the way too. Yeah, Juan, uh, the only thing you need to watch out for with Juan Yudo is he's very fragile. Uh, I know that when he when I see him on the board, I try to take him off pretty quickly because he's going to be rolling around and killing people. That is certainly his one downside. You uh, kind of have to keep him hidden uh, until it's time for his blender to go off or uh, whatever scheming you need done. There we go. If you listeners, uh, if you use Juan Yudo or face Juan Yudo in the upcoming game, let us know. Give us a comment on this episode, and uh, we'd love to hear about it. And you know, if you haven't tried out Juan Yudo, definitely give him a look for all the reasons we just covered. It's a, it's a great tech piece uh, in addition in a lot of missions. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna go to a quick break, and when we get back, we're gonna dive right into our Jacob Lynch Honeypot Deep Dive. So stick with us, and we'll be right back. All right, welcome back. So we uh, again have Landon here, and let's talk a little bit about Lynch. What what about him stands out to you from all these other masters? What what situations are you looking to take Lynch into? What do you think makes him special and unique? So the reason why I like to hire Lynch in a competitive sense isn't necessarily the raw power level that you get from some of the other Ten Thunders Masters on the market right now, but rather the unique ability he brings to the faction, which actually comes from his totem, not the master, uh, which is Obey. Uh, and so the ability to actually have an Obey in faction is pretty big for... If you don't know what Obeys do, the answer is a whole hell of a lot. And... Uh, what makes his Obey unique is that he can actually get it at a plus flip. So a lot of Obey Masters have the weakness of, if you put them on concealment, it gets very inefficient to actually start taking those actions. Because uh, when you know you need to, on your Zoraida, take a focus and then an Obey or start spending stones, that really sucks. But um, with the unique crew mechanic that they have uh, known as Brilliance, you can actually remove those tokens from enemies to get to either a positive or a straight flip on your obeys, which uh, comes in very handy. So that's usually when I think in a competitive sense, I want to play Lynch this game when obeys are good. So definitely everybody wants to be Zoraida. I mean, come on, let's hands down. She's, she's just a sexy beast. But one of the things that's kind of interesting is that you immediately pivoted to uh, the hungering darkness and obey. And that's almost the opposite of what everyone kind of looks at when they first see this interaction, because you have Lynch, he's got his little pop gun and he can use that to place the hunger and darkness, like right into the middle of the crew and kind of similar to dreamer and learn chompy, but it's kind of put this big melee guy who's kind of hard to take down. When do you kind of look at hungry darkness as this obey critter versus a beat stick? So the lovely part is you can do both. Um, Usually, as you said, you'll want to use uh, Lynch's Derringer with uh, Trigger to place the Hungering Darkness up the board to minimize the amount of walk actions he takes. But the nice thing about Huggy is you get to look at him during when it's his activation and say, there's, there's like a checklist of things you can do, right? Um, and so like number one on the checklist is, can I take an Obey that will score me points or deny me points? Somewhere around down the checklist, you'll look and you'll see, is there something I can put in a severe of anywhere from six to eight since he has crit strike on his attack to go ahead and kill. Um, Cause that can be a pretty powerful play as well. And that's really when you're going to want to use them in melee is when there's a good focus spike you can get. Cause there's not all too many models in the game that can reliably hit something for eight points of damage in one attack. 
Huggy happens to be one of them. Um, but for the most part, Obey is where you're going to really get a lot of mileage out of him because it gives him a lot of reach. It has a built-in trigger to put out Brilliance, which is an important thing for the crew to get in general, uh, whether on your friendly models or on enemy models, because you can use it both ways. And at a plus flip against willpower, it's very often pretty easy to land that. So when you are settling on your obeys, do you find that they kind of fall into a pattern where in the early game you're obeying your own models, in the late game you're obeying your opponent's models? Are there specific situations that you're looking for? Is there anything in general that would help someone new coming to this crew to be like, I can recognize this opportunity to use obey in this manner? So some of the easy to figure out situations I would say for Obey is if you are playing a strategy where it's something like Corrupted Ley Lines and he has to have his guy uh, sitting on the Ley Line at the end of the turn. If he leaves his guy on the Ley Line activated, you can go, okay, that's an easy point to just get for in Obey, right? So you'll take that with a plus flip. Or if you see an enemy model with something like Focus or a resource you want to take away from them, that's a pretty easy Obey target right there. I think the last game I played Lynch... Uh, someone had the intrepid emissary with focus sitting next to an operative. And so I thought, huh, getting rid of that focus seems pretty good on this 246 model. And uh, usually they'll spend the focus on the flip against the obey. So even if you fail the obey, you've still gotten rid of a resource just for trying. And if they don't do that, well, then when you win, you get to take a focused attack at uh, a better damage track. And so that's just all gravy, no matter you win or lose. Um, so those are two pretty cut-and-dry examples of when Obey is great. So you've talked a lot about the master in the crew, you know, Huggy. What about his totem, Jacob Lynch? <laughs> right. His totem, Jacob Lynch, is uh, pretty good for getting out brilliance on your own guys and can put it out to enemies. One of the real nice ways he does that is his bonus action. Uh, this round's on me. For a uh, mighty four of anything, which, as we'll probably get into later, is trivial for this true to get. You get to put out a pulse of six inches where enemies have to take a TN14 willpower duel or gain a brilliance token. Uh, the important part is that there's two triggers on this. One's built in, where you get to give your own models within the set range a brilliance token, and they also heal one. The other one's not built in, but for a mask, enemy models within range that have three or more brilliance tokens gain stunned. It doesn't matter whether they pass the willpower duel beforehand. If you take the action and they have three brilliance tokens, they're stunned, no questions asked. And that can be incredibly powerful in some matchups. Six inches huge for just like God, that's you're all stunned. Yeah. yeah. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, uh, I, I just want to uh, go back and uh, mention because uh, I, I love obeys. Um, uh, another, other than using the focus, if you have a writer that you're going against, uh, I love obeying a writer to charge into something or use one of his abilities uh, and then just being like, I'm using all of your tokens. And it's like, well, you know, I, I, I can only get two rams. doesn't matter. I'm using all of your tokens. Well, the thing about that is there is absolutely no scenario in which you should ever be able to spend the tokens as the writer is allowed to put his tokens into the failed willpower duel before resolving the duel as it's when you declare triggers. So he knows whether he's won or lost when he puts the crows in, or, sorry, I play against a lot of dead rider. Whatever the suit is. <laughs> it's true, and you know what? These are some great tips of, you know, a lot of people don't even think, like, I'm going to use my focus on this attack, or I'm going to use all of my uh, suits just to get rid of them so you can't use them against me. Like, that's good counterattack. 
Yeah, if you are struggling against obeys, remember to use your resources before the obey hits. Uh, good advice. So beyond beyond just the obey, so you've mentioned brilliance a couple of times. I know that's a key aspect of sort of the whole crew. It was, it was big in second edition, continues in third. Can you talk to us a little bit about like what is brilliance? What does it do for the crew? Why is it good for you and bad for me? So Brilliance uh, is the manifestation of one of my favorite changes from 2nd edition to 3rd edition in that it's not a condition anymore, it's a token. And by itself, this Brilliance token, either on my model or on your model, doesn't do anything in particular. It's simply a counter. Um, but when Lynch goes, he can turn that Brilliance into damage with one of his attack actions. Or if you have too much of it, you get stunned, as we mentioned. Huggy can take Brilliance off of either friendly or enemy models, depending on what he's targeting with his attacks. Get plus flips. Huggy also sucks it up for a bunch of healing and some nasty pulses of slow. Um, and then the rest of the crew has some interactions with it. But the big things are it makes it harder to resist Tannen's boring conversation, which is a bubble of you don't get to play the game, which plays into the crew's game plan uh, overall the nuke on Lynch, and then the plus flips from Huggy. As far as what it's doing on my models, it makes my models easier to obey if I need Huggy to hit his TN, since you need an 8 for his obey normally. And while that's not a big deal for the reason of the other crew special ability, it's still nice to be able to just flip it and not cheat it. Um, and then I think a couple of other models use it as a resource, as well as your summons need Brilliance tokens to live. Well, I mean, one thing is uh, you can cancel interacts, which has been fairly huge in my games against him with Beckoners. You know, it's funny you say that. I know that ability exists, and I declare it every time I use a Beckoner, but I've yet to have it come up in, I think, any of my Lynch games, really. So you said something there that is actually kind of wild when you consider what usually stands out for Masters. We've been talking about, well, we've been talking about Huggy plus Lynch. Uh, for you know, several minutes now, and you just sort of offhandedly mentioned, oh yeah, and he can summon things. Like, usually, summoning is like, this is what you do. Like This is why you have this particular master. I gather that's not the focus for Lynch, uh, at least Lynch as you play it. Talk to us about that. Like what? When is summoning happening? Is that integral to the game plan or not? So Lynch has a very odd summon in that it's uh, tied to his range 6 willpower attack, which does damage to an enemy equal to the number of brilliance tokens they have onto them to a maximum of 5, uh, that very low number of 5. And if you kill the target with the attack, you get to summon a honeypot minion with an upgrade attached to it equal to or lower than the cost of brilliance tokens the model had when it was killed. Usually that means you're getting something that costs less than five. But if for some reason you have a model that has an incredible amount of brilliance tokens, you can get an illuminated at seven. What this really means is you usually get a relatively mediocre, but still helpful model known as the depleted. Um, its ability list is very short and it's essentially just a, a body, but bodies are still useful regardless of how immobile or little impact they have as far as during their own activation, they still force things like disengages or just take up space so that you have to walk around them. 
Um, but they're definitely not something you're relying on as far as whether or not they're going to make or break your game. They're small exploding tar pits. The other option you sometimes see is summoning in a beckoner. But beckoners, for the same reason, aren't all that great as a summon because you usually want them for their beginning of game abilities or their static abilities on the board. And they're pretty easy to get rid of uh, at five wounds with their only real defensive tech being a minus flip sometimes. The depleted strike me as being kind of like um, the abominations in a Leviticus crew. Like you might, you might get them. They're not integral to the game plan. They're sort of ancillary summons that are kind of crampy. Ironically, my uh, abomination models are converted depleted models because I won some depleted in a tournament before I started playing Thunders. No, so. the the uh, abominations are, uh, I would say, are, are quite a bit better than the depleted because they just do passive damage to everything around them. And if I'm not correct, don't they have the anti-healing uh, aura as well? They do. They do have the anti-healing. Yeah, so they're, they're significantly yes. better. Yeah, and so the depleted are literally like, I'm there, I try to keep you from walking places, I'm a little bit more, like, they're not even difficult to kill, it's just they explode to do two damage. And well, like... the last thing that I should mention is that your summon upgrade gives them a useful ability, which is at the end of their activation, they lose a brilliance token, and everything within a certain distance, I believe two inches, gains a brilliance token. Yeah, it's um, two. Sorry, only enemy models gain the Brilliance token. But it's a way to give out Brilliance without any duels, which is helpful. But by the point that you usually have one, you've already killed one of the more important models that you've been stacking Brilliance on. So it gets somewhere into the win-more territory. But in a game where diff matters, winning more matters. So there's one other keyword ability that shows up on a lot of the models in the Honeypot keyword, and that's rig the deck. Um, it shows up with different values, like rig the deck 2 on Lynch. I think there's a rig the deck 3 on someone. Can you talk us through, for those who aren't familiar with it, what is rig the deck? Why does everyone have it? Um, is it something that you use a lot? Rig the deck is an ability that happens at the start of their activation that ties into their theme as operating and running the Honeypot Casino. What they get to do is they get to look at a number of the cards from the top of their deck and uh, draw them into their hand and replace the top of the deck with a card from their hand instead, equal to the number on it. So Lynch himself has, say, rigged the deck two. You get to take two cards from the top, put two cards back. If that doesn't already sound busted, I can walk you through some reasons why that's really good. Um, unlike something like Intuition, where you just get to know what's coming, with Rig the Deck, you get to put your own cards back. So TNs, like the four on Lynch, you're almost always going to hit, because you get to pick any of the, if you've got a full hand, eight cards in your hand, to flip for that. So you're never going to overflip a TN, and you're pretty much guaranteed to never have to cheat it, so long as you're on a model that has Rig the Deck. But then we get into some of the cheekier things you can do with it. Like, say... Um, when you are flipping an attack defense on your own models, the rulebook does not tell you that you have to flip for the attacking model first. So if it's something like uh, a lure on your beckoner, which has rig the deck one, you see the top card, you see that you don't have any sixes that you want to put in for the lure on your beckoner. Instead of just saying, oh, I can't 
lure my guy, I don't have a six I want to use, what you can do is you can put a low card back, declare that you're flipping for the defender first, and then flip a second card off the top of your deck for the lure and hope to hit a six or better. And that's just the start of examples of how this ability is great. Sneaky tech, sneaky tech. When it can help you, I imagine, too, like, if you know you're going to be on a negative, you could put two cards back that are going to be high. Or, yeah, if you yeah. need to take a neg flip attack and you uh, are taking on a pretty low stat model, you can just say, okay, I'll put two tens back. You know, you don't go down any cards in your hand. You've got those two cards that you can use later for other tricks. Like, if any card in your hand is useful in Lynch. Is it'll inevitably hit a TN or be something you can use to draw a better card later. Cool. Well, uh, I, I'm definitely I'm more excited about Lynch than I was when I started. So, so good stuff. Um, why don't we take a quick break and when we get back, we can talk about kind of what your list building plan is beyond you know, Lynch and Huggy, obviously. Who's your core crew? Um, and then you know, who some of your out-of-keyword hackers are. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Hello. Do you like our podcast and want to ensure that it continues to run? Maybe you want to hear our outtakes on unedited footage. Or perhaps you're just flush with cash and you like being generous. Either way, we've set up a Patreon just for you. If you like us, please consider donating. Our Patreon can be located in the show notes. If not, we're all pretty sure that it's Herman's fault. Either way, if you like our show, go ahead and leave us a comment. Thanks. All right, welcome back, folks. So we've heard why secretly obey is the secret sauce of the honeypot, surprising me uh, greatly. Um, so we're going to focus next on... What does the typical crew look like? What are the different styles of Lynch? Who is in those styles? Who are the out-of-keyword models? So take it away, Landon. What are your, what are your, uh, your approaches? Yeah. Um, so the easiest place to start would probably be the crew that everyone thinks of when they hear Lynch. And in that sort of style, you're playing a bubble, uh, which is pretty much impassable to your opponent. You'll lure them into it. And then every time they cheat, they're going to be taking brilliance, they're going to be taking damage, they're going to be taking another damage, and uh, and they're probably also going to be discarding a card. And if it doesn't sound gross, I mean, you think about it, you're trying to cheat, you're dropping two cards, you're taking two damage, you're getting a brilliance, which also translates to bad stuff. Like, that, that kills most models, no matter what you are. I don't care how much defensive tech you have. Um... <laughs> And then on top of that, you might have an out-of-keyword pick that puts you on minus flips to all those willpower duels. And the thing that really fuels this are a handful of models. You've got Mr. Tannen, who for a bonus action can put up Boring Conversation, which a lot of models in the game have, but his caveat is he's got a trigger on it for a crow, which you'll hopefully have due to rigged a deck off of a couple of activations, where you increase the TN, which is normally a 10, by one for every brilliance token you have. Um, and so that just applies for the whole turn after you throw it up. And it starts to get really gross if you've got, say, like a Kabuki Warrior, which is an out-of-keyword pick you can take that puts anything within two of it at a neg flip on willpower duels. So if you've got to make like a TN12, TN13 willpower duel every time you want to do anything other than walk and you're on a neg flip, you don't usually get to do anything than walk. Um, so that's the big part of the bubble is having Mr. Tan in there. Uh, I will. Sorry, I'm, uh, since you're talking about Lynch's bubble, um, there is a one thing that I've encountered that is a problem with the bubble in general, 
And that's, as you were saying, you have to put, it, put up Tannen's boring conversation towards the beginning of the turn to get the bubble going. But then you knock off uh, Tannen's manipulative. Uh, how do you get around that? Absolutely, you are correct. Uh, the first answer to that is you only hire the bubble sort of crew when you can predict what your opponent's going to bring in that you know it's going to not be able to meaningfully interact with Tannen from outside of six. The second step of that process is taking uh, models with long engagement ranges like a Kabuki Warrior or using Huggy and uh, Shadow Emissary, which I'll talk about later, to try and form this sort of like meat wall that doesn't stop them from seeing Tannen, but stops them from fighting Tannen. And at that point, you get to comfortably take you know your first or second activation to actually activate Tannen and throw the bubble up. Um, so you take them against Resurrectionists and Neverborn, who have to close in on you as opposed to shooting you from far away. Exactly. I wouldn't hire uh, Tannen in a lynch list, probably, if it was against, like, Guild or Outcast or anyone who's iconically got long-range guns. Some people will tell you they like to just stick the stealth upgrade on him for that, but my rationale against that to you would be if your opponent can interact with you from outside of six, which is the reason you're taking the upgrade, they can still do everything to the rest of your list besides Tannen once you put the upgrade on them, and they don't need to come into your bubble at all. So you're paying eight stones for something that's essentially an extra don't do that thing you already weren't intending to do. So would you say in the bubble brick list, Tannen is the linchpin? <laughs> that was He's, bad. Uh, certainly, certainly important, but when he dies, your list doesn't fall apart. Um, but I appreciate the pun. I'm going to, after that joke, I'm going to put in that wah wah sound just went into editing. I want you to know that. That sounds beautiful. So, what's, uh, what, all right, so what's style number two? So style number two is probably the most common style that I'll run Lynch if I come to a tournament and I'm like, I'm going to play Lynch today. And that's where I just hire two from the Shadow Samurai and put them in your face uh, and essentially use them as a launching point to send Huggy up the board. So I'll take two from the Shadow Samurai. I'll put them within 12 of your deployment zone or however to snipe off a few key squishy pieces. And then later when I'm unpacking with Lynch and I'm done shaking everybody's hands, I'll take a walk and I'll shoot one of my samurai to pop the huggy up next to wherever needs help. And generally this goes one of two ways. Either my opponents have engaged the samurai and huggy now just like eats whatever you engage the samurai with, with his uh, focus hit. Or you haven't engaged the samurai and huggy just starts obeying your stuff back to your deployment zone to mess with you. And so that style offers a lot of control over just being able to tell your opponent they're not allowed to be on certain sections of the board. And also just offers a lot of damage and aggression in the early turns. And this harkens back to the whole, uh, his samurai tech that he's talking about right now. Uh, the reason why it probably works better with the Lynch is because of rig the deck. You can do a throwaway uh, type activation with a, a Beckoner or something in the beginning where, I don't know if Beckoners have freak the deck, but I think they do, um, where they do. You, you can start stacking stuff up so you know when that Samurai activates, you're going to get some good cards going in, and you know, that's a, a pretty good uh, tactic there. Uh, you know, dirty Ten Thunders with their ninja Samurais that teleport up the board. Exactly. You can either go early or late with them, depending on what your opponent's offering you and how your hand looks. 
to the point where you're either going with a stacked hand full of like, you know, your 13 of Rams you need to blast, or you just kind of wait for them to send anyone out into the danger zone. And then, you know, that's when you've got the great hand. And heaven, heaven forbid, they actually get into melee with you uh, with their your armor too. Also, really good in melee monster, you know, with, uh, ten thunders, man. And with honeypot, they're not expecting a lot any armor just on your keyword models. So if they're teching for armor and you don't bring the samurai, then you're kind of okay with that. And if they tech for armor and you do have samurai, you still get to kind of play around that and use huggy to try and keep those specific pieces away from the danger zone. So. They, they so, scratch each other's back. So one thing I kind of wanted to circle back to the non-Samurai, the more interesting build, where you're kind of building this meat bubble. What does that look like for setting up for deployment? What does that look like for your turn one? What does that look like um, so that you're not stepping on all your own models? Sure. So typically with the unpack, Tannen has a really key ability here where every time you gain a Brilliance token, once per activation, you get to scoot something too. And so with Lynch, you have a lot of ways to hand out Brilliance to your own models. Uh, his own activation, he can take a Handshake, which uh, is a range one melee attack that gives the model whose hand you shake two Brilliance tokens. And then you may, you do not have to, uh, reveal the top card of your deck and the target's deck and do some damage. But you don't have to do that if it's a friendly. So you end up just handing out some Brilliance tokens, and there's a trigger on it to push either Lynch or the target three inches. So essentially, you get to charge Lynch, shake someone's hand, and shunt them five inches up the board, usually doing this to like a Beckoner, who benefits from the Brilliance tokens and then also can lure your other models up the board while giving them Brilliance tokens with her trigger are built into the lore, or repositioning on her lore to get into a better position because that's also built in. Having two built-in triggers is pretty cool. Um, but the unpack that's how you get the bubble up the board, is you start using the extra two inches of movement from Tannen, plus the Beckoner's lures, plus Lynch's handshakes to advance quicker up the board than your opponent can and get set up in the center so that if they have to come to there to score, they start having a hard time. And as a completely side note here, because Herman mentioned meat bubble, uh, if you go to Google and do an image search on that, uh, I'm not recommending it, but you get some pretty interesting results. No, that, no, 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 that's a terrible, don't do that. No. Don't, don't, don't suggest <laughs> that. <laughs> Why? Why, I just assumed it'd be pictures of Landon playing. <laughs> Suddenly we have like uh, 120 of our podcast listeners that instantly made Meat Bubble top of Google search list. That would be that would be wild. Um, this is how you get demonetized. All different pictures too. Yeah. Um. So on that disgusting note, um, not falling for this trap. No, 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 definitely not. No, but that that's a good point though about the unpack because like bubble bubble cruise, I find them fun. I don't know different people. You mean like meat bubble cruise? Yeah. God meat, damn meat it. Cruise. Yeah. Um, yeah. Goodbye, Brick. Hello, Meat Bubble. Um, but yeah, so when you're playing a, a Meat Bubble crew, the unpack and movement of the bubble is often the hardest part, unless you have some kind of special trick to move things around. Um, do you? Is there anything around the activation order of that that you 
typically go with to avoid your guys running into each other and bunching up? So Lynch going relatively early in the turn helps a lot, and Huggy going relatively late in the turn also tends to help. Um, the reason for that being is that Lynch firstly gets to do the rig the deck, and you'll go later with him if you don't have low mass that you want to pitch for his trigger. Um, but he gets to see two new cards to try and help you figure out what you want to do with your unpack. He gets to trigger Tannen's Brilliance so that you can scoot problematic models into the right spot right off the bat with his pulse. And then you get to start pushing him around with your uh, here and there trigger on the handshake if you have the masks, which ideally you do. And then having the Beckoner go out and just lure the rest of your problem pieces that might be blocking your stuff for the next sort of action helps a lot as well. Because once you've started to break out from your deployment zone, you get a lot more options. So is the mobility that this provides sufficient to compensate for, say, corner deployment for a bubble crew? I would say yes, usually. Um, it depends on how far you need to go. But when you get to essentially take your two key pieces and just put them five to seven inches up the board for essentially a five stone model, just lure, having your Beckner take the two lures, that usually doesn't really take a lot of cards because you've got rigged the deck. So that's the other downside you even might get to these movement-based things. Um, it, it starts looking pretty good. And on top of that, you've also got another model that I like to take, um, usually in more of the third and second kind of style of Lisp, sometimes makes it into the first, Kitty Dumont, who has an additional movement uh, trick that helps you get out of your deployment zone with reaching tendrils, uh, which is a gun that just pushes something six. I'm glad you're bringing up these movement tricks because... Uh, I will say one of the big counters to, uh, as Herman has dubbed, the meat bubble uh, type crews is uh, your opponent has some control over that. They can be like, I'm not going in there. Like, you can do your setup all you want. I'm not going to take anything that I consider important into that grouping. But Lynch is in a unique place where he has a lot of movement uh, shenanigans between the Beckoner and Kitty, where you can be like, you don't have a choice. I'm going to bring one of your models in, and I choose which one it's going to be. So he kind of gets around that counterattack. Exactly. And one of the other models I very frequently will take into Lynch, the Shadow Emissary, also has the Heave Trigger, where you get another one of those, you don't get to say, you're coming in here type effects, where you just place them in. All right, so we heard, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm tracking this correctly, we heard the Meat Bubble, and we heard the, uh, the Samurai up the board, Sneaky Ninja. What was the third list? So the third list is a bit less uniform than the other two, but it's essentially what I would say is the I wanted to obey this game list soup, where you, you're taking Lynch because he comes with Huggy, and then you just take a bunch of models that are good at the strategy and schemes. So like this, in an example, you'd be playing like Corrupted Ley Lines, you'll take like an Emissary, you'll take a Wainudo because that model's amazing, and then just whatever tech pieces you might want. Like I think in my last game I took a Kabuki Warrior, because negative to willpower is nice. But you're not aiming to sit in a bubble. You're aiming to score points and then just leverage Huggies Obey. And if Lynch gets Brilliance tokens out and kills things, that's cool. But you're not playing a Brilliance-centric crew like you would be in the bubble style or in like Samurai style, per se, where you're trying to kill things. You're more or less leveraging the movement tricks end of it rather than the bubble end of it. I'm curious... When you're playing this obey type style, 
have you ever gone against a uh, opponent Lynchlin in the mirror match? Because in the it sounds like in the obey style, you're putting brilliance on your own guys to make obeys easier, but that could be detrimental in that matchup. I've played the mirror twice. Uh, it was not a great fun time, as Huggy is just a monster in that matchup. Uh, for both sides, as you don't get a choice for the most part if any of your keyword models come in with brilliance. So in the mirror, you try and take as little keyword as possible. Um, it's it's not a great time. I wouldn't recommend it. But uh, yes, the get putting brilliance tokens on your own guys in the mirror is not not very helpful. Would not recommend. So other than the wand Udo, are there any other? You said this is more of kind of a good stuff, all starry type list. Um, are there any other? Models that particularly stand out when you can add some activation AP. Yeah, I would say the always takes in the in the third style would probably be Kitty, the Shadow Emissary, and then just whatever comes to mind. There's, it's a very open list at that point, so it's hard to say exactly what I'd take. Um, usually, some sort of model from the Shadows, probably. Uh, but really, you're just probably taking that a Beckoner and then just trying to make sure you can score points. It's going to depend what the strategy is. But if I'm declaring a list like that, it's probably because I've read that I want an Obey into that faction or for that strategy. So for example, again, something like Dashiell, where your primary way to summon is only protected by protected, uh, answering countenance, both abilities that only work against enemies. That's where I might say, I'm just going to declare Lynch into this because I want an Obey for this matchup and I don't care what else I'm hiring. Uh, and so you're just kind of building for the pool and for the crew at that point in time rather than having some sort of set game plan yourself. That really hurts my soul. Excels at. Poor Dashiell. All he does it is get dumped on. It should hurt you. Oh my god, Dashiell is like really good right now. Shut up. Bald is beautiful. <laughs> So uh, I I hear you talking about uh, a lot of these uh, models in the Lynch crew, and you know obviously we've, we've mentioned uh, depleted. Uh, everyone knows eliminated dude. They're just you know damage fed dealers. Um, there are two models that I'm curious about. One I've seen uh, since Herman mentioned Bald is beautiful. Tannen's uh, bodyguard of Mister Graves. Um, I've seen him dropped more often than not uh, in Lynch crews, and I want your thoughts on him. But I'm curious why we haven't talked about Gwyneth yet. She, I, I had usually included her because uh, I felt like she was actually a good model. What are your thoughts? So I'm on the anti-Gwyneth team. There's not very many of us. But to me, she has a lot of overlap with the Shadow Emissary, except she's a far more parasitic model that ironically doesn't play very well into your game plan. So here's the good stuff she does. She has the same aura that Beckoners have. Uh, which says if a model cheats within six of you, they get a Brilliance token. Unfortunately, it's exactly the same. So if you already have a Beckoner within six, there's no extra benefit. Um, so that's detriment number one of me. I'm already probably hiring a Beckoner because I like what they do for movement. And she, her best ability on the front of card has some overlap. She's got Rig the Deck 3, which is really nice because you get to look at a bunch of cards. Um, that's the other real good thing that she does. And then the rest of it's some defensive tech which situationally works, situationally doesn't. Uh, I'm not in love with Luck Thief as an ability. Well, here's here's a side question to that then. Outside of Lynch, would you take her into a different master, a different keyword? 
Absolutely never. She's far too parasitic for me to run most of the time in the keyword, and she is not getting any better when you remove brilliance from the equation. Well, it's worth a try for her. Yeah. And just for listeners who might not be familiar with the term parasitic, I'm assuming you're meaning that it really relies on the synergies with other models. Yes. So to really explain a solid concrete example of what I mean when I call her a parasitic model is her basic attack action, Card Shark. Target suffers one, two, three damage, plus one per brilliance token the target has on it to a maximum of two. In other words, her main attack for this nine stone model is going to be a one, two, three attack unless you already have brilliance on the target. So she is relying on the actions of other models to get these brilliance tokens out so that her own turn can be better. And so the more brilliance you remove from the crew, the worse this model gets. She has that parasitic interaction where she needs a host activation to set her up. Um, and while she can put out some brilliance by herself, the trigger on Card Shark is not only after resolving, it's not built in. So you would have to hit them with a min one attack first to get brilliance out with that. Or you could shoot them with your Derringer, which is range eight and ignores nothing uh, to get the built-in brilliance tokens. Um, but if I'm paying nine stones for a model, I'm kind of hoping for more than a two, three, four from eight inches that does nothing. Uh, but put a token out and ignores nothing. Um, the one thing I will have to plug about the Derringer, though, and the reason why she makes some of my lists some of the time, is that it has drawn out secrets, uh, which lets you drop a scheme marker from eight inches away, especially if you're relenting to shoot your own guys, just putting the books in. You usually don't have to stone because you've rigged the deck three, so you know it's coming off the top. Um, so there is some good stuff there, and she does make some of my lists. Yeah, I was going to mention the the drawn out secret uh, secret trigger, but uh, the other thing I, I've seen her use for is the come play at my table, where she does the pulse out, and usually uh, if she can get into the like towards the upper part of a crew, she does that, and you, know, you have to make the willpower duel, and some of the models will be you'll have brilliance, so uh, some of them might be on negatives, but if they cheat to try to avoid being pulled closer to you potentially into the bubble. Um, they get a brilliance token because they cheated because they're within six inches of Gwyneth. So uh, that's the other major thing I've seen people use her for. So like, here's where I start to get into this is where I find this model overlaps a lot with the Shadow Emissary, where if I'm trying to get people to come into my bubble, come play at my table isn't a long enough range from outside my bubble that it's really going to put things that weren't already close enough anyways inside. Um, then we get to the point where she's very slow. It's very hard to get her into the enemy crew to begin with without a lot of outside help. She's moved five. She has no extra ways to move herself. She has nothing to avoid terrain. So she's very slow. Uh, she doesn't have a lot of range on her ability to grab things out into your bubble. And then on top of that, her damage is not great. And the other thing that she does really well is draw cards. But the Shadow Emissary also lets you re-rack and get even with your opponent. So... I find that most of her advantages come with a slightly more attractive package in the Shadow Emissary, who also brings more synergy into the crew that maybe isn't quite as visible. And that makes sense. But I will tell you from somebody that's been playing Explorer Society uh, for the last year exclusively, when somebody says she's only walked five, so she's slow, it hurts. It hurts me deep. <laughs> Explorer says not the tricks, but yeah, I hear you. And so what about, as Jeff 
alluded. What about Mr. Graves, who you also haven't mentioned much? So someone said they see him dropped a lot. And I wonder if that means dropped as in put on the table or dropped as in this guy comes nowhere near my list ever. Because so I, 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 I have to say that Bald is only beautiful in Guild. <laughs> I, I, I see him dropped out of the list more often than any other model. Yeah, I agree. I don't think I've ever hired him willingly. I, no, that's a lie. I hired him once in the Dreamer matchup and regretted it because this model is slow and it's going to sound really sad, but he punishes you for playing badly. Um, so one of the things he has that really ties into that is he has black blood. So if you accidentally put graves next to your own models, you take damage whenever they hit graves. Graves is not quite phenomenally on defense. He's defense five. Uh, with hard to kill as his defensive feature. But the reason why you all might also make the mistake of putting him too close is he has bodyguard, which means your models within two have cover. So you have to do a lot of fiddling where you want to be inside two, outside one, so that you aren't getting black blood pinged on you. And while that's perfectly fine and easy to do in games where you're playing fresh, like turn one, turn two, that's fine. You start getting into turn three, turn four, turn five, you're thinking about other things than where is grave exactly outside of one inch of all of my models and you can just have a really bad turn if you make that mistake would um, you take him for keeping the peace and uh crews that have models that do multiple charges or in a crew like anya where she wants to jump next to you charge through you and do a lot of damage uh because he's kind of like you said uh his abilities kind of reinforce the bubble but he's a bit of a detriment while in that bubble so well, that's Answer. where Tannen comes into play. Exactly. If they're already in your bubble, you have enough other stuff that you don't mind. And then also he feels like he's overlapping that beater slot where he's not tanky, but he's trying to do damage. And like you could have either Gwyneth, who we mentioned, even though I'm not a fan, I'd still take her before I took Graves. Or you can take the Shadow Emissary. And Lead the Way might seem attractive as an unpacking tool, but you have to understand very frequently if you're using Lead the Way, either Graves is going to be the in the way of someone else while trying to unpack, or someone else will be in the way of Graves. So if you push your model four and you can't push Graves out to meet that model, you essentially spent a six and an AP to just take a walk on someone, or less than a walk on someone else. And this more expensive model that you spent you know, more stones on is now stuck in your deployment zone blocking everyone else. Um, so he's just a really awkward model to use for his price. He doesn't quite take hits well enough to be a beater he doesn't move well enough to interact meaningfully with your opponent and inside the bubble you know if you're not paying attention he does a lot more to hurt you than just to help you and i tend to agree um i just uh if weird's listening i think they could dramatically improve mr grace by getting rid of his tactical action giving him a new one i don't care what it is and then giving him a the anti-charge where you cannot resolve Extended actions generate exactly i think that would make grace where he actually is useful to the crew if he also just had better triggers on his fence post that might also help severe injury is great but no triggers built in and punctures like eh, on a three four five track well, it was funny because you're like, you know, uh, I see him dropped a lot. I'm like, oh, you mean with guns? Yeah. No, I mean, like, on his head. I feel like extended reach would be better. Like, swap bodyguard out, take extended reach. Um, although, from a card space perspective, uh, that'd probably fit. But, like, well, I think it'd be less fiddly. I could see him. Though. I could see him coming in. Uh, 
in crews uh, that rely on terrifying and manipulative a lot because he he does have ruthless and he does have a good damage track of three four five. But see, I've I mean, tried that, and the problem with that is he doesn't have the movement to get to the targets he needs to hit. So like models with a minute feel of you might be trying to ignore tend to be in the back line, right? And Graves is once again walk five no movement tech, uh, and so if it takes him three turns to get next to the thing that he's supposed to be hitting, and that's what you hired him for. Like that's that's the ideal scenario. Like sometimes he might not be getting engaged with whatever you've hired him to fight until like turn four, and then he's not affecting the game state. And so his problem is just he's slow. Yeah, I mean, and I, once again, I agree with you. Uh, just doing the devil's advocate, there are models that where he could, they can make him not slow, but there's better models that like the for yeah, Beckoners. Thunders does up. not hurt for ruthless at all. Yeah, well, some of us do. Some of us all can't have massive, awesome, good upgrades, okay? Hey, I would tell you... You play the, Explorer uh, Society, Jeff. Yeah, you have fantastic upgrades. Get, I'll get, get blamed for this, but I think Thunders are like third or fourth on the upgrade you know, handout list, which is me- middle of the pack at this point in time. I played Neverborn before that, and their upgrades are genuinely not very good. Yeah, I'll pass like with that. Ancient Pact is phenomenal, and Blade Rush is good. And GG Zero Nephilim also got Butterfly Jump, so I don't want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, that was the last time you played Nephilim on a regular basis, so yeah. I, I have to say, I am not a, uh, and I know Andre Dimmings is going to like uh, throw something at the phone right now. I'm not a fan of Nephilim uh, in, in the least. I'm, they're just not my my flavor. I don't think they're all that great, and the grow mechanic is just stupid, but that's a different pod- podcast. Oof. Have you tried it with candy? Candy is the spec secret sauce. I love candy, and uh, I mentioned <laughs> I, I mentioned not just because I'm fat, but uh, I mentioned that in the uh, Third Floor Wars, uh, I did their Pandora episode, and I talk about all my raving awesomeness of how good candy is. You should have opened with the I Love Candy uh, song. But, uh, but yeah, so one, one other question before we go to the break. Um, illuminated. You mentioned them in passing about, hey, if you can summon one, that's awesome, because they're pretty cool. And, I mean, they seem like sort of mini mini beaters that have some good stuff going for them. Do you ever hire them, or are they just a situational bonus? Yeah, summon? like, if I look at my list, and I'm accomplishing all the objectives I want to do with my list building, and I see I've got, like, 10 stones, 10, 12 stones left over. I'll hire Illuminated. They have a lot of good stuff going on in the card. I know you called them a beat stick, but honestly, the thing I love most about them is the Shockwave, which might be controversial because people hate Shockwaves. But it's a good TN. It does good damage. It puts out Brilliance Tokens, and it's against Willpower, which is one of the lesser stats that you know Shockwaves tend to hit. And if you've got something like a Kabuki, as I mentioned, that can be on an egg flip, and that, that starts to be huge when you're throwing out Shockwaves on multiple models on an egg flip. And you have a you have the added benefit of a lot of people, uh, when you start stacking shockwaves, uh, it depletes your opponent's hand, but it usually depletes yours as well, because usually uh, in the earlier models, the shockwaves had high target numbers that they had to hit, usually like sevens and eights in order to get a shockwave off. But the Illuminated uh, only needs a six to do it, and with Lynch, uh, it, it, his whole crew with Rig the Deck, it's not really hard things for them to do. Yeah, the first one's free. And if it's not, you've got Brill Shaper to also just filter a bad card off the top of your deck, which is really helpful. 
And then they're just really good in melee with uh, essentially a trigger that makes them built in min three max six. So like, no, these are these are excellent models. I I try to hire one when I have space, but they're never top of the list if that makes sense. Um, and they don't have the greatest defensive tech in the world, so they'll drop. But if I've got the stones, I like to hire them. That's actually I'm I'm this hasn't been mentioned, and I'm glad you mentioned it. A lot of your uh, models have these little like Brill Shaper, uh, keeping the peace. They have these little bonus actions that they can use. And I think that's by design so that when you're using Rig the Deck, you can just uh, use like this throwaway ability that doesn't really do anything for you right now, but it's just to get rid of that bad card that you put there. Exactly. And between that and like intentionally targeting your own models to get through bad cards, there's a lot of skill cap that you can just unlock that makes playing the crew really fun. Even if you're not winning, you like might discover a new trick, or you can be like, yeah, I did this really cool play with my cards. It just really adds to the enjoyment of the crew. Awesome. Cool. So we're going we're gonna to go to another break, and when we get back, we're going to wrap up with counterplay. When, what should be people be doing against Lynch? When, when would you not take Lynch? Um, and so will help out those folks who are facing off. So stick with us. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back. So we're going to talk a little bit about counterplay. Throw a bone to those of you who are facing off against Lynch. So Landon, if, you, if you've got Lynch, what are, what are like the top three things you don't want your opponent to do uh shoot him please don't shoot me don't shoot me don't take plus flips those are the things that absolutely terrify me um as we mentioned when we were talking about tannin if your opponent can meaningfully interact with you from outside six bubble lynch just stops working very well Uh, bonus points if you have ways to get around like lynch's defensive tech which is the very short list of if you have brilliance you get a neg flip when you attack me so whether it's easy focus or like built-in plus flips, that, that makes Lynch cry a little bit. Um, you get a little bit of around that with Gwyneth, who has Luck Thief, where plus flips are bad. Um, so the other thing you don't want to see in Lynch is Injured, where Luck Thief only helps so much if uh, Gwyneth is like a stat 4 or 3 on her uh, defense duels. Doesn't matter if you're on an egg flip, you can still hit those sometimes, or if you're just taking min three shots enough times at a straight on min three, like she just kind of drops. So injured, plus flips, guns, all bad for Lynch. So kind of to that point though, is you you know this. You know that you don't like being shot at. So you're taking in specific models in order to counter that, like the uh was it the Shadow Emissary. Right. So your opponent's gotta know that. So it's one of those things where you know that they know that you know that they know that they know that you know. So it's not just... Can you repeat that again? (laughs) I believe it went something like, fuck you. (laughs) Okay, good enough. Um, So it's not just enough to take guns, but you have to take like guns that get around concealment. Things like that as well, correct? Yeah, sometimes. One of the reasons I do like the Emissary is because you can put out that concealing bubble for your early turns to try and stop you from being shot. Um... And, you know, sometimes guns that ignore concealment or plus slips are really good, but, like, you have Gwyneth to help mitigate that a little bit if you want to lean into that angle. Um, but one of the other things I would say is a kind of a helpful generic th- 
thing to take in the Lynch is Ruthless. A lot of the ways he gets Brilliance tokens out honestly comes from the front of his ability card, which, apologies if you're a new player playing Lynch, you'll miss this. When your opponent flips an ace, they get a Brilliance token. Um, and that's just like a hard period fact, that it happens and you need to be watching their deck to make sure it happens. Uh, in Vassal, it's a lot easier because you can look through the discard, you can like see your opponent's cards at all time. In person, there's some amount of grace and like it that you need to get from your opponent where they have to kind of help you out, help them out. Because otherwise, you're just like leaning over the table the whole game and not actually playing Malifaux. Um, but it is probably the biggest way you get Brilliance tokens out. And so tiny little duels like Terrifying, even if they're not high TNs, are one of the things that drives that. So having Ruthless models to get around Huggies, uh, Terrifying, or the Emissary's Terrifying, or the uh, Illuminate's Terrifying, just helps stem the flow of Brilliance a little bit. What are my... Uh, what are you... Oh, God, I don't want to make the linchpin joke. What are the linchpin models in your crew? Who should I try to kill first? So yeah, that got really depressing. <laughs> the uh, the best and the worst answer for this is the Hungering Darkness. The Hungering Darkness is a really important model to the crew, and if you can get rid of the Hungering Darkness, it's great. He's also the hardest model in the crew to kill. He's got Terrifying, he's got Incorporeal, and more than all of that, he's got a bonus action where he just heals based on however many models, yours and mine, within six inches of him, have Brilliance. No card flips involved, so sometimes he'll just, like, bonus action heal six on top of having soul stones. But if you can manage to remove him, say, like, he activated early in a turn and is sitting in a really dumb spot, removing him's a great idea. If you can't remove him, don't touch him. Is this uh, something that, in my crew, I need to dedicate tech towards things that are irreducible damage, things that kind of prevent that incorporeal and soul stones to happen? So, like, Ruthless is a really helpful thing because he's terrifying 11. Uh, and then just having min 3 from there, or better, or ignoring Incorporeal or something, also really helps. Um, but even more than all of that, if you can just find something that shuts off healing and soul stones, um, that also really makes Huggy a very sad-looking model. Uh, and can really make it a very difficult take into certain uh, factions. Well, to be fair, his original model of the uh, decrepit tadpole was kind of a sad-looking model to begin with. Hey, I like my purple translucent second edition Huggy, but I can understand where he does not look very great if you can actually make out his features. And then they made an awesome uh, Huggy model, but then made it way too big. Ah, uh, yeah, the elephant tentacle beast. Yeah, that model's cool. I wish I had The one. monster from Stranger Things, you mean? So is it are, is his models like porridge, where one was too small, one was too big, and the next one's just right? Pretty much. I don't really like the M3 one all too much, so I don't know if I could call it porridge. But the size is probably correct. Does not I have am. a mold line the size of a small model? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm curious. When you're playing your bubble uh, version, what's the most interesting way that an opponent has gotten out of the bubble? Um, hmm. The most interesting way an opponent has gotten out of the bubble. I'm trying to think. Uh, I don't know if it's all too interesting, but Tara just unburying her models that get put in the bubble was pretty neat. Um, I don't play the bubble style all too often, but when I do, usually it's because I know my opponent's going to be stuck in it. 
Never born the resurrectionists. Pretty much. All right. Um, do you have any other uh, counters that you'd like to bring up aside from uh, shoot him in the face? Um, let's see now. Aside from shoot him in the face and make sure that uh, you can potentially kill Huggy being good ways to deal with the counter on Lynch. Um, how, how about versus the Obey, right? Like, So a lot of your play style revolves around Obey as a way to either score points or pull your opponent off of points. Um, are there things like sometimes if I'm playing like ley lines, I will often try to activate the model with the lodestone as late as possible to minimize the abilities that my opponent can try to do to move them off. Are there things like that that can help try yeah. to mitigate the obey? Having stuff like Laugh Off or Planted Roots, not necessarily for the Obey specifically, but against the crew can be pretty nasty. Um, because a lot of the movement also will just come from like lures on Beckoners. So if you have ways to stop yourself from being pulled into the bubble, that can be pretty helpful too. I know one of my first games of GG1, I was really excited. I looked at all the strategies, and I'm like, yeah, Lynch is great at all these strategies. And I played my first game of Corrupted Leylines against Tanya, and she just had, I think, like two Waldgeists. I looked at my list where I was trying to lure things off the ley lines. I looked at his list and I went, this doesn't work, does it? <laughs> and then he said, no, drop Titanium in my safe and plus flip through all my defenses and I died. Um, it was a very sad game. Yeah, I mean, with Guild, it made me think of like the uh, crowd control on the Brutal Emissary. Yeah, that would work. But uh, yeah, generally, if you can get through the plus flip defenses, lots of the crew goes down very quickly. And if you can turn off the primary stick of moving your models around, then what are they even doing? All right. Well, to move off of Lynch, uh, hearkening back to when Jamie Vardy was on the, the podcast, apparently I'm playing the pantomime villain within the United States. And you mentioned that there was a post that was made on a weird place that uh, riled you up a little bit. Did you want to get into that? Feel yeah, free to man, burst his meat bubble. I have no fucking clue how you can think that uh vengeance and we are legion are comparable abilities like i don't know how you can read one and then read the other and say these do the same thing well like, to be except fair, worse because vengeance always works and i, I that just i i don't i don't even know where to start wait wait, wait. so to, to clarify the take are you saying so uh, vaguely paraphrasing here um so jeff and had stirred the pot a bit on the, the Cadmus hate train. Um, and so somewhere in that conversation, he said, you know, the We Are Legion damage ping is similar to Vengeance. Would you say that does Vengeance dirty and Vengeance is actually way better? Or that that is under, underselling the power of We Are Legion? So not only is that underselling the power of We Are Legion, that is obtusely missing the point of what We Are Legion can do as an ability by like restricting it to a very narrow case where you're very often not even using it that way. So I understand what you're saying, but it just in a nutshell... But Jeff disagrees. <laughs> no, I, and, and I do, and I'll explain why. In a nutshell, if you just take the two abilities as they are... Uh, 
We Are Legion is melee based. You have to be within uh, two inches, three inches. I don't remember. You have to be you, within four inches of a model that is within four inches of a model that is within four inches of your model. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, if you want to pass it off to your own, your own. But I'm just the damage to you. Um, not, I'm not not getting into passing off. Uh, I, I had uh, equated it to the equivalent of incorporeal and vengeance, uh, which incorporeal reduces the damage by one, uh, which is essentially what you're doing with uh, We Are Legion, and you are in some cases returning that damage, which is also something that vengeance does. Now, We Are Legion has to be set up with a Parasite token on a model that's close by, and it is only melee bay, well, uh, four inch, the, the model has to be uh, close enough for you to actually pass the, the damage onto. Now, I understand why some people got upset about that, but I also think that when people complain about Cadmus, they are not complaining about necessarily Cadmus itself, they are complaining about the other models that are taken with Cadmus, such as the admittedly broken uh, Intrepid Emissary. Uh, which See, I... I'll stop you and disagree with you right there, because I don't think the Emissary is even used in the most broken Cadmus builds, which also is part of my complaint, Is but we, uh, you can continue your point. I, I mean, that, that's no, the... No, please, the, continue the, telling him he's wrong. <laughs> that, that is the, the gist of my point, of that... Uh, between incorporeal and vengeance uh, and a summoning crew, I think that the two are uh, comparable. Uh, so when, when was the last other. time you took your incorporeal vengeance model and hit another one of your incorporeal vengeance models? That, when was the last time a Sation just like hit uh, Datsuba and did a point of damage across the board to something 20 inches away? Now, was like, you, last I checked, Kurai can't do that. Now, you bring up a good point of passing off damage when you hurt your own models. And that is a tactic that the crew has. However, in order to get that tactic off, if you notice, almost all of the models in the Cadmus crew all do uh, low damage with the exception of the Archivist. Like, they are all very low damage uh, tracks, uh, and that's your trade-off. They don't have Sation that are doing, what is it, 2, 3, 6, or something like that? Okay, so a Sation is the two-stone model in Karai? That I think just pushes things along. Uh, oh, sorry, Shikome. Uh, it's Shikome. Two three six, is it? Yeah, something like that. So I mean, is two I three mean, six significantly different from two three five? Well, yes, but uh, no. Yes. No. All right, no, but. <laughs> I don't okay. think uh, in general I don't think people are complaining about the uh, the Berserker Husk's damage track it's the auto damage that gets and I think that's where people are getting a little upset is the auto damage that happens you're absolutely true but you also seem to be discounting that at every step of our conversation as like the degenerate part of Cadmus uh, I, st I still stick by if the um if some of the other models and maybe uh, Cadmus so I'll, needs... I'll stop you right here because you're going to deflect from the models. But I'll tell you right now, the problem models in my mind are cryptologists, uh, Meredith, and Berserker husks because that's the core of what makes Cadmus a problem. The fact that you can put 18 stones of models on the table in a turn, every turn until the end of the game, so long as your Berserker husks, you know, aren't on the table at the end of any given turn. If they are, well, you're playing 18 stones up to begin with of models that don't meaningfully interact with your opponent uh, 
in any way that they can affect. And they just have to accept that they're eating buckets of damage every turn. Because they can't even get rid of these models because you summon them right back. Uh, and to to be fair, uh, we actually highlighted the uh, the cryptologist, uh, and I don't know that anyone was doing that before we talked about the cryptologist being able to do that multiple times per turn. Well, uh, we were doing but, that before you guys talked about it, but uh, but asi- aside from that, uh, mic drop. I, this uh, it, this is the the first time that I've heard this is a complaint. Uh, when I went in the thread, I saw a lot of uh, intrepid emissary, and uh, some people also mentioned. Um, Nagatara, uh, yeah. yeah no, Nagatara. That's because they're just looking at Plog's games, and Plog is a reasonable player. I don't think he's a great list builder, and they're just playing like the cookie cutter. This is I read the cards first time. This is the list I'm going to take because it's obvious synergy stuff. And so I, I, since you brought this up, I actually agree with your take here, um, and I think the Cryptologist should probably be limited to uh, um, Wastrel only with that ability. And uh, if if that were to happen in an errata, would you feel that that would bring things more in line? And then some emissary changes. That so, like, I'm going to level with you. Uh, myself and my friend who actually play Cadmus, we don't think Cadmus is the boogeyman that the community thinks it is. But by no means is it, like, at an acceptable power level if everything gets tuned downwards. Like, saying it's balanced because Stuck is balanced isn't a good indicator that the game's in a good place. Because nobody thinks Stuck's balanced. <laughs> Uh, okay, and, I and and I agree with you there. I think Cadmus is at a higher end power level. I don't think he's. People were saying that he is completely unbeatable, or Nexus in general is just completely unbeatable and is a powerhouse and is going to ruin the game. And I can agree with with that. There needs to be a couple of tweaks, but I think he's at the same power level as things like uh, Leviticus. Uh, Von Stuck, um, I gotta think of. See, yeah. I think Levy is on the balanced end of broken, not the broken end of broken. Wasn't our literal motto on this podcast nerf Leviticus? It was indeed. It and was. now you're literally standing him up as the pinnacle of, oh, this is fine. Hold on. At, at no point in time have I said uh, that I don't think Cadmus uh, should be. I said Leviticus tight. is fine. Leave Leviticus alone. <laughs> Levit- you, you notice this. You notice it. The I'll, Leviticus I'll player thinks Levy's fine. The Cadmus uh, player thinks Cadmus is fine. And I, I the don't think player is asking for buffs. I, I don't actually think that Cadmus. I, I think that Cadmus, within his own keyword, if you do not go outside of his keyword, plays as intended and is at a good power level. Going sure, outside of his that. keyword, exactly. I think the problem is when you bring the other models in that alter the power level of the crew and make things problematic. Saying in a vacuum something exists and is fine is only true if you're in a vacuum, and that's just not how things work. That's true. All right, All right. Owen, the moderator, has said that we need to wrap this up, uh, so we should probably do that. That's fair. That My one plug for the day, Dead Rider is not fine in a vacuum, and he's not fine in the environment he exists. Fuck uh, that metal, I hope it's gone. Uh, I would I would retort that Dead Rider is fine in a vacuum because he's dead, and the <laughs> lack of oxygen won't hurt him. There we go. Not at my best today, but I'll bring a little bit of pedantry right at the end so as to not disappoint the audience. There we go. That's That's... You heard it here, folks. That's what we're here for. Um, all right. Well, so Landon, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll definitely have you back for a future episode. 
until next time, play some foe. Let us know in the comments what you think, what you'd like to hear about. And uh, we will see you on the next episode of Capital City Crew Podcast. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Capital City Crew Podcast. We hope you tune in next time.